You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. All right, welcome to Why We Do What We Do. I will be your host, Abraham. And I'm Shane. And today we are recording on... Man, I don't know how to say this exactly without giving it away too much. Do you just want to give me some of your your setup here? Yeah, yeah. So I have a few questions for you. Okay. And I just want to see where this is going to go. So do you ever remember Jif peanut butter being Jiffy peanut butter? Yes. Okay. I feel like I have an explicit memory of a label saying Jiffy. Okay. Do you remember Curious George's tail? No, but I didn't pay attention very much to Curious George. And I believe the monkey type that he was did not have a tail. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's that's I like that reasoning there. Did Uncle Pennybags from Monopoly have a monocle? Unfortunately, I'm not a great candidate for this as a person who plays a lot of games. So I'm 90% sure he did not have a monocle. Okay. That's fair. All right. Uh, how about when the Wicked Queen from Snow White said, mirror, mirror on the wall? Do you remember that quote? Yes. Definitely remember that one. Yep. Okay. Finally, do you remember a movie where Sinbad played a genie and it was called Shazam? I thought I did, and really what I was thinking of was Kazam, and I was thinking that specifically Shaquille O'Neal was Sinbad, so I was half right. <laughs> so these are all fun examples of this, but it, today we're going to talk about something called the Mandela Effect, and I love this because it's this pretty widespread phenomenon. It kind of popped up in pop culture, and I wanted to kind of take a moment to look at it and really dig into it and figure out what it was, but also just have some fun with it because it's just such a bizarre, bizarre thing that's going on. Right. So in today's discussion, we are going to essentially define the Mandela effect, the Mandela effect. I want to make sure I say this correctly <laughs> and <laughs> what it is, what it's not, and give some common examples and then also how this comes to be. And just to kind of go back to those questions, Jif peanut butter was never Jiffy peanut butter. Curious George does not have a tail. Uncle Pennybags does not have a monocle. And yeah, Sinbad was never a genie. What did the queen actually say in Snow White? So the evil queen actually didn't say mirror, mirror on the wall. The evil queen actually began the phrase magic mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Oh, okay. So there was the same number of syllables, but it's, it's not mirror, mirror. Isn't there even like a TV show called mirror, mirror based on that? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Dude, that's super Mandela effect. <laughs> yeah. It gets wow. real wild. I mean, when we start talking about some of this stuff, it's going to be like, oh, I totally get it. Like when I start talking about Forrest Gump and how he didn't say what everybody thinks he said. Yeah. It hurts a little bit. Yeah. This is a offensive episode. <laughs> <laughs> this will be like doing an episode saying that pickles are the worst. People would have a really strong opinion about that. <laughs> I'm going to have to change my recommendation to pickles now. <laughs> All right. So let's define this thing. So the Mandela effect is a phenomenon best characterized by the term false memories. And so what ends up happening is someone or some group of people may recall an event as having occurred when the actual event never took place. And so what ends up happening, some examples of this, maybe remembering some kind of childhood event that never happened, like going on vacation with your family or some kind of social interaction, but it actually never occurred. And so in order to tackle false memories, we would need an entirely separate episode, but we are going to dig a little bit into what they are just for the sake of explaining this phenomenon. But what you'll see is people will describe a phenomenon, they'll describe an event, they'll describe something that happened that actually never happened. And they'll have very clear, vivid memories of this. And one important thing to distinguish here is what it's not. And um, what it's not is not just a single isolated incident, but the fact that the Mandela effect occurs on a large scale. And essentially the large masses of people will recall this some event like Jiffy being true 
but historically has that actually never happened, at least not the way that it was originally was based on like the mirror, mirror on the wall thing. Yeah. And you'll see some themes and some trends when we get into like kind of what actually happened, like what happens with that type of thing. So there is some truth and some kind of stuff within that, but I don't want to spoil it for everybody yet. Now, Originally, the term Mandela effect was coined in 2009 by Fiona Broom, and it began with the notion that Nelson Mandela had died in a South African prison in the 1980s. I mean, we were young around then, but do you remember thinking that he had died? So I feel like I had heard that he had died, but I don't remember actually ever believing that. And especially because I was so surprised when he actually did die in 2013. Not surprised. I was really sad because I sort of remember like the movie Invictus with Matt Damon and... I believe it was Morgan Freeman playing Nelson Mandela. Yeah. And I don't know. I just, I don't have an explicit memory of this, I guess is the short way of saying it. And I think that's fair. I mean, kind of going back to those examples, I don't think that I had an explicit memory about it either, but I was shocked when he did die because I was kind of like, oh, like it's like one of those things like when a celebrity passes away, you're like, oh, they're still alive. Okay. Like, (laughs) you know, and it wasn't like, you know, it's just one of those things like, you know, my wife for a little bit believed that La Bamba was the actor that played him in the movie. And that when he showed up in another movie, she was like, excuse me? Like, he died in a plane crash. It's like, no, that, was, that wasn't the actor. That was this person. So, this, you know, it's, just, it's funny things how memory works like that. Now, that's a pretty impactful example, right? Nelson Mandela. But there are some less impactful examples like spelling changes and like, you know, catchphrases and stuff. Like, you know, is it spelled Looney Tunes, T-O-O-N-S or Looney Tunes, T-U-N-E-S? Do you remember? Did you have an experience with that? I didn't, and I would, I would have just guessed that it was Toons, T-O-O-N-S, because of cartoons, and that that was sort of a, a shortening of that word. So it's actually Looney Tunes, T-U-N-E-S. Wow. Yeah. So even like something like that, where it's like, it's not a huge leap in logic to think that it would be one thing, and it's actually this other thing. So, and that's probably how a lot of this gets passed down. This is all making me sad. <laughs> <laughs> Other events seem to be more impactful, not even seem to be, they just straight up are, such as dates and times of events. Some people report that 9-11 actually happened on 9-10, so September 10th, 9-11 being in the United States, the terrorist attack on the World Trade Center where two planes were crashed into the Trade Center and a lot of people died, as opposed to being on the 10th, the day before. Song lyrics, geographical and terrestrial changes, that is, the Earth was originally in the arm of Sagittarius, not its current location and Orion's arm. Yeah. So other examples of that. Yeah. So just the idea that the celestial bodies change is kind of a big thing. Like I remember it's here and here. I mean, I don't think that I ever had an opinion on whether it was in, if we were in Sagittarius's arm or Orion's arm, never really thought anything of that. But given that that's kind of what people are thinking. And like, these are the experiences It's important to kind of explain away what's happening here with this particular phenomenon. So my favorite explanation, and this has no scientific merit whatsoever, but this is one of my favorite things. And this is why I wanted to study it because this, this belief really fascinated me. Fair. So one explanation that you'll see people kind of talk about is that the earth was pulled into a parallel dimension in 2012. Okay. Sure. <laughs> All right. Follow along with me. Why not? Okay. So in this explanation, which aligns with the Mayan calendar's prediction that the Earth would end in 2012, our planet was dragged into a black hole. This black hole was created by the Large Hadron Collider, a particle collider built by the European Organization for Nuclear Research, or CERN, when it was turned on. So the day that they turned on the Large Hadron Collider, we were pulled into a black hole. Now, if you're not aware of this, please take time to look it up. It's my favorite theory, because essentially what this says is that when we were pulled into the black hole, we were pulled into a parallel universe that everything is just deteriorating and getting a little bit worse every day. And let's just real quick, as a a quick aside, 
black holes are not alternative universes. They are objects with an extreme mass that destroys everything that comes near it and basically breaks it down into its constituent parts. So if we had been pulled into a black hole, we would not have memories of anything because our atoms would be smushed together in a giant fusion machine. So (laughs) (laughs) we, we would be quite, quite worse off than being flattened. We would have been atomized and then those atoms would have been flattened. Yep. So that's not, not really what happened. So yes, there's nothing there to say that we got pulled into a black hole, like nothing at all. No, that being said, essentially this idea of there being alternate realities is another explanation that many people cite. It's sort of a, this the thread is with respect to the black hole in relation to the phenomenon of these false memories is that the memory is of something real, but that it belongs to another reality that for whatever reason we cross paths with or something. And this this would make sense because while the idea of multiple timelines converging and diverging is very complex, and we're not talking about quantum physics here. It is not the simplest explanation. So that's exactly it. Like, that's not a simple explanation for anything at all. And we have no scientific backing for that. Our current science can't even catch up to the idea of time travel and alternate timelines. So we can't even make that leap in logic. So the fact that people are kind of leaning in on that explanation doesn't really make any sense. Now, what's more realistic, though, is this idea of cultural memory, okay? And so this is a more realistic explanation, and what you'll see here is kind of this phenomenon where something gets perpetuated over time. People share some story, they share some memory, and people confirm it, and it it kind of turns into this big thing. So what ends up happening with cultural memory is that stories or common cultural phenomenon are shared incorrectly and often. So something is shared, it's not correct, it's not often. That's mirror, mirror on the wall versus magic mirror on the wall. And now there's shows related to that this is satisfyingly already more parsimonious and so (laughs) (laughs) it feels so much better already right yeah (laughs) so think of the world's worst game of telephone essentially here's what happens like you start this thread you say like hey here's what happened and it just kind of gets skewed over time how many people for example remember the line luke i'm your father how many times do you hear that misquoted from star wars so often and i actually only know that it's that's not what's said because someone else pointed this out in the context of sort of false memories and the mandela effect and pointed out that's not what he says and i was like yes it is and i had to go back and watch it and was shocked to see it's not what it's not and it's not one of those weird george lucas phenomenons where he went back and he like (laughs) re-edited and like made a whole bunch of new dialogue damn you lucas (laughs) (laughs) ah george The actual line is, no, I am your father. Right. And people always say, Luke, I am your father. And it gets perpetuated in that cultural memory. I could see him going back and doing that, though. I would be very irritated. George Lucas, (laughs) if you're listening to this, don't you dare. Don't you touch it. I don't think he's allowed to anymore. Oh, that's a good point. Disney, don't you dare. Disney, don't you dare. Don't touch it. So it actually never happened. And people misquote the line often enough that it sounds strange if you say it differently. If I say, no, I am your father, then it removes all context and it removes any of that, what we know to be true of that movie. Right. Right. So another example is Forrest Gump. So he didn't say life is like a box of chocolates. He actually said life was like a box of chocolates. Did you verify this? Yes, I did. So Ah, That sounds so weird to my ears. It does. It's strange. This is why I wanted to cover this because it doesn't feel good, but we need to know the truth. Okay. (laughs) So what actually happened with that one was that he, in the movie, says life was like a box of chocolates. But on some of the promotional material, and you'll see this happen several times, on some of the promotional material, it does say life is like a box of chocolates. Oh, so this is like the studio's fault almost. Yeah, it's not untrue. It's just knowing where the information came from. Interesting. Yeah. 
All right. And then there are some memories of things that are real that are not being an example of the Mandela effect, but where you see that sort of cultural memory taking over. So, for instance, typos and marketing materials, like in Fruit Loops, misspelled the cereal. It's actually fruit, F-R-O-O-T, loops. And the same occurred with the Berenstain versus the Berenstein bears, where it's A-I-N versus E-I-N at the end. And you'll see books and knockoff materials that have different spellings to mimic the brand and to try and capitalize on that without actually infringing on the copyright. So if like, I've actually typed in websites where it was, I got one letter wrong and a website came up that was trying to capitalize and make money on the fact that I hit that website because I typed in the wrong URL. And so, you know, it was like went to apple.com with one P and it was like something else, you know? (laughs) And that's exactly it. I mean, a lot of the discussion around the Mandela effect is around the Berenstein Bears phenomenon and remembering like, I remember it being... S-T-E-I-N. I don't remember it being S-T-A-I-N, but I have friends that have distinct memories of reading S-T-A-I-N books. And we've had those discussions about, no, it was this and no, it was that. But the truth is, is it was actually both because there were there was content out there that was related to that. Uh, I thought maybe they were just anti-Semites. <laughs> They're like, no, 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 no. We won't read those books. Yeah, it can't be a stain. It has to be a stain. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm not friends with them anymore. You know, other people, too, in this discussion will cite religious beliefs or texts and things like, you know, particularly the Bible and different misinterpretations of the Bible or different prints of the Bible. But we're not going to get into that. That's an entirely different discussion around this particular phenomenon. What we really want to talk about here, though, is this idea of false memories, which is kind of what's happening here is this idea that there's misinformation. And now we've created these false memories and we're sharing that. I kind of gave that away earlier. Sorry. No, you're good. You're good. I I talked about it earlier, too, so we're fine. Okay, so as you just pointed out, the most common explanation regarding this effect is attributed to false memories, which is a psychological phenomenon that is essentially exactly what it sounds like it is, which is that an individual may recall information that doesn't exist or events that never happened. And there are a lot of things that can occur for that to take place. And I believe we covered this at least in part on the episode in False Confessions that you can sort of end up planting memories in people. And I think that we've also talked about this a bit in some of the episodes we've done on memory and just talking about it doesn't take very much to push someone's memory in a particular direction using certain verbs. The example that I know that we gave in the episode is if you ask someone about what happened when the cars either, I think it was they hit or they got in the accident versus when they smashed into each other. And just asking about whether they hit each other versus smashed into each other, you get very different you get important details different and the two uh, recollections of that, where if you say smash, they're going to report all this debris everywhere and all like airbags deployed and bodies and pieces and that sort of, <laughs> not, not that extreme, but versus their hit, then they're going to use, they're not going to report anything with respect to debris and debris. And the details are always going to be things that are just sort of minor offenses. And that was their actual memory that was affected just by how the question was phrased. And you'll see this too, and you'll probably have experienced this. I don't know if you've ever had that situation where you've been telling a story, like maybe a family story, and somebody's like, no, 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 that is not what happened. Actually, I have a very specific example of this that's very annoying. <laughs> oh, yeah? Go go, the, go on, share. Okay, so when I was in high school, so I have a few younger siblings, and I have a younger sister, and when I was in high school, we were doing this thing where I was like, it's sort of like the airplane thing where you lay on their back and then you hold them on your feet and hold them up in the air. Yeah. So it sort of looks like they're doing the airplane or Superman or whatever people like to call it like that. And so we were all doing this and maybe it wasn't, it was middle school, but I accidentally launched her 
off of my legs and she landed kind of funny on her arm. And she went in and was like, she was crying, said her arm really hurt. And my aunt was a doctor, was at my aunt's house. And so she's like, well, let's just run her to the hospital and like take a look and see if it's possible that it's broken or maybe there's a sprain. We don't know. We just need to get some x-rays. And so they went and they, they got all that done. Turns out it was broken. She was in a cast. Well, the story that evolved over years was that it was obviously broken to the bone was basically hanging out of the skin to like, (laughs) I launched her like through a wall and she crashed into a piece of farm equipment where her arm was basically severed and had to be reattached. It got so hyperbolic. It was ridiculous. And I was like, I'm like, where this is going to end up in a few years is that I launched her into space and she crashed into a satellite and her body disintegrated and you had to reassemble a clone to make it. Because <laughs> I'm like, I was so tr- I was so terrified at the fact that I had hurt my sister that I feel like I remember this very vividly. And I'm pretty sure that I've checked with other additional verifiable sources and found out that I was right. But the people who have memory of this, who are not directly involved, they just got more and more increasingly elaborate. And it's always been very annoying to me. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's exactly it. It's like when we start talking about false memories, that's one of those things is that multiple people may have a version of the story and that influences the outcome or like the actual story or even your memories. It makes you question whether or not you actually had that thing happen. Yes. Which is not a good feeling. No. We could probably do an entire episode on gaslighting, which is where it gets really nefarious. Yeah, for sure. This is how it kind of like when you start talking about false memories, these are things that happen is these memories get implanted. People are susceptible or it's just it's sometimes it's by accident. There's just misinformation. So the first thing that we would talk about within false memories is this idea of inaccurate perception. And so what ends up happening is some people report issues with false memories initially struggle with what they do is they struggle with how they perceive the event itself. And you brought up the idea of just the the basic question asking, right? Smashing versus getting hit in an accident. They may actually gather just enough information to create a memory, but not enough to correctly recall those important details. Maybe they remember arbitrary details and they fill in the holes somewhere else, but they don't have the entire perception of the event that occurred. And then another one, one is this idea of inferences where others may sort of quote unquote connect the dots in an attempt to make sense of a particular event or situation and that this process then can help flesh out an event and attempt to fill in the gaps where information is missing even if that information that fills the gaps ends up actually being wildly inaccurate. Yeah. And you'll see that a lot, especially with like some major event happens when people start reporting on stuff. They're like, I saw this happen. I saw this guy do this. I saw this guy do this. And it turns into something just like they think that it happened and they didn't actually see it. Right. You kind of will just think, well, this had to have happened. And then you remember it actually happening, even though it didn't. Yeah, exactly. So another part of this, too, is this idea of interference and interference. What ends up happening is, you know, we kind of exist on this linear timeline, right? We live life linearly as far as we know. (laughs) It's a a Jeremy Baramy. That's that's how time works. (laughs) We need to do an episode on time just one day. It's like time is a flat circle, man. That would be fun. So what ends up happening is. You know, we exist on this timeline, so memories and events that happen after a particular event can actually influence and change the memory of that initial event. So, for example, imagine an event occurs in 1995. I am nine years old when this happens. And then now, 25 years later, there have been several unique events that have occurred after that. And some of them have shared similar features or similar characteristics. Now, it is possible, as part of this false memories phenomenon, that those events that occurred after 
could shape my memory of that event from 1995 simply because the features are so similar it's hard to discriminate which event was which and so they are all events that could have happened but they've kind of melded together based on the fact that multiple similarly occurring events have occurred can you give an example of what that might be? Yeah. When I was younger, I was playing baseball. Okay. So I remember playing baseball and I remember playing fast pitch from the time I was, I think maybe nine until I was 16. And so I played so many games and played in so many seasons and played on so many teams that I remember people being on certain teams that weren't actually on those teams. I remember my friend Jesse being on one team and he was never on new wave waterbeds, you know, or I remember my friend BJ like always batting against them, but he was always on our team. We didn't play, we didn't bat against each other until, we didn't play against each other until high school. So there are memories like that that are like, because the features are so similar, those little details get mixed up. Okay, I see what you're saying now. And I have, there was a few times I went on tour with some of the bands that I was in and I, thinking back on them, I can't remember like what things happened on what tours or even if things happened on some of those tours happened at all. <laughs> and so sometimes I go to tell those stories. I'm like, wait a minute, what? was that with that band or did that actually happen that way? Or is that someone else's story? Like sometimes I'll think of some other story that someone else told me and think that that happened to us. And I mean, it was only a handful of times, but maybe my memory is just that bad or something. <laughs> All right. Another example of what can happen here is this idea of similarity. This is a similar, it's so funny. <laughs> this is similar to the similarity that you just described as being similar. <laughs> this one is where there is similar information, but minor errors in recall may alter the memory itself. And so the example here would be in relation to a crime committed, which is apropos, as we just recorded on criminal profiling. This should be coming out a week after that episode came out. But anyway, a witness learns that a perpetrator was a six foot tall, white male, bald, and a salt and pepper goatee. And when someone with these features is placed in a lineup, the witness may recall that this person who shares similar features to that, as described earlier, is the person that committed the crime. And now they're forming a new inaccurate memory based on the new person that they're seeing who had some shared characteristics, but is not actually the person. But now their memory is filling in the gaps with that new information. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you'll see here within kind of all of this, there's like small minor details that influence your memory. All of these sound kind of similar, like inferences, you're filling in the gap. Similarity, you're identifying memories based on similar features, but not complete features, you know? And so you'll see this happen kind of with false memories. And what ends up happening is it can be pretty minor for the most part. Like, you know, it doesn't matter that Abraham threw his family into space, but what does matter is if somebody does get charged with a crime because of false memories, that's a different issue, right? So it does kind of become a bigger issue. Yeah. It can scale up in how important the implication is. Yeah. And the final thing that we want to talk about within false memories is this idea of misattribution of familiarity. And so what ends up happening is when an individual is presented with new or novel information, some individuals misattribute recognition of these new events to something else. So Jacoby et al. in 1989 demonstrated this using non-famous names in a list. So what they did was they had these subjects study these names in a list and it would be like, Sebastian Weifhausen and stuff like that, you know, kind of made up names. And so they would study these names and then they would represent them in a final list later mixed with novel names, like new names that they hadn't studied before. And the subject would actually identify those names from the previous list, the names that they had studied as famous due to familiarity with the content. So they're misattributing a memory with identifying them saying like, oh, they're famous because I remember this name. And it's like, it's just because just you studied it, not because they're actually famous people. I've definitely had that experience. Okay, so just to recap really quick, the types of false memory and like processes of false memory are inaccurate perception, inferences, interference, 
similarity and misattribution of familiarity. Now, also, some people are more likely to be suggestible, which makes it, of course, far easier to convince them that an event occurred. And this is when you just simply plant an idea and someone said, this one sounds like it's also a bit more malicious, potentially. Or it might be that you have an incorrect memory. You're trying to foist that upon someone else. And it also occurs to me that this could be something that frequently happens with kids and trying to convince them of believing something that did or didn't happen where they haven't really figured out how to run the information through a filter yet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got a seven-year-old that will tell me that he remembers all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, that is not what happened. <laughs> As a matter of fact, my daughter one time told me, you left me home alone. And I was like, uh, I've been raising you for 14 years. I have never left you home alone. Like she told me specifically, she remembered when she was two that I left her alone in the apartment. And I was like, well, first of all, no, let's be real here. <laughs> Second of all, but she's like, I had a very real memory of it. And I was like, there's no way I might've, I was like, I might've gone down to the car to get something out of my car, but I didn't leave you alone. <laughs> to a two year old, that was eternity. <laughs> yeah. She's like, no, I think that's probably why she doesn't like me now. So she's got some <laughs> stuff that she's got to work out. Well, you know, when we talk about this, like, you talk about this idea of false memories and the Mandela effect, like what's the problem? And, and the most glaring problem is the sharing of incorrect or incomplete information. So that in itself becomes a problem. In some cases, this might have not, not have an immediate impact on the individual, like things like whether it's Captain Crunch or Captain Crunch on that serial, right? But in other times, it can be a big problem, right? If I don't have the right information, I'm passing down incorrect information for generations and generations. That can lead to some pretty serious things, right? So like when you work at like an organization, sometimes you'll hear the phrase, we've always done it this way, right? Like, have you ever heard that? Mm. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which is a problem, right? We've always done it this way. It's kind of passed down from generation to generation. But the truth is like that just because it's passed down doesn't mean it's correct or accurate or even effective or helpful. And so sometimes what will happen is if information gets passed down like that, then it can be a problem or it can be ineffective or even just flat out a lie. You know, I've, I've seen family members or not family members in particular, but friends who have family members that have found out that like, oh, I just thought my grandfather was an alcoholic all these years. The truth is I found out that he was schizophrenic and that was an entirely different set of issues that I need to know about as an adult, <laughs> you know? It's Cap'n Crunch, right? Not Cap'n. <laughs> yeah, it's Cap'n. It's Cap'n. Okay. Just had to check. <laughs> you have me questioning everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So <laughs> there is also the perpetuation of pseudoscientific explanation for these ideas. We listed several at the beginning, the whole black hole and alternate realities and whatnot. But by glomming on to unempirical explanations for these phenomenon, the scientific community sort of, quote unquote, loses its credit. I mean, this is fairly harmless when it comes to things like the Berenstein or Berenstain bears, but it obviously becomes more problematic when scientific literacy begins to falter. And so, for example, you look into the anti-vax movement and the lack of trust there, even though the empirical evidence that vaccines don't cause autism is just monumental at this point and all the other things that people have against vaccines that are also based on nonsense. And so this is where inference in the common sense become a major issue when you're relying on things that are heavily subject to human bias. Yeah. And so let's look at the research on this. And the issue of false memories is research regarding more serious events than serial marketing or paternal disputes among space samurai. So I think it's important to get into that. <laughs> Now, to begin, there are many studies on false memories. And again, it would take an entire episode to truly dig into that subject. And there are so many subsets of that subject because it specifically spans multiple demographics, multiple age. I mean, just there's so much there. But in relation to the Mandela effect specifically, I was not able to find any research on it. So 
I just want to point that out. Is like when we talk about this pop culture phenomenon, the idea of false memories does exist. The Mandela effect is just a really cool catchphrase. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. According to Sederberg and colleagues in 2007, looking at neurology, they described that gamma oscillations in the brain can help experts determine the difference between true memories and false memories. And studies conducted with 52 epilepsy patients concluded that accurate recall yielded the same pattern in the patient gamma band of 28 to 100 hertz, which has to do with the number of oscillations of those gamma waves, if you will. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. I never would have thought to look into neurology research on this. (laughs) For memory? Yeah, for memory of all the things. I don't know. That's just my own stuff, I guess. Okay. (laughs) Kuhn in uh, 2008 explored how photography could be used to shape cultural memory. We talked about that earlier. Where a single photo may be used to alter the true memory of an individual if it fits with a cultural memory narrative. So, for example, they were able to take a photo and slightly alter it to include different figures or remove different figures, and that could significantly change that person, especially if they didn't have like a true or uh, really vivid memory of that particular phenomenon. And Clancy's colleagues in 2000 dove further into the idea of false memories to see how it may impact trauma victims. And here they reviewed false recognition among women who were victims of sexual abuse And in this study, they evaluated whether the participants were able to accurately report whether they had encountered specific objects when exposed to novel items. It was determined that those who reported that they had recovered showed more accuracy in their reporting, which is to say that those people who maybe were still highly affected by their trauma were also recalling with less accuracy some of the details of the event. Yeah, that goes to kind of show the scope of this idea of false memories, where it goes from being like, is it Captain Crunch to more serious? Like now you're identifying, you know, salient variables within a context that is going to help put away criminals or to, you know, to basically put somebody on trial for something they've done. So it does have some really serious effects. Now, I think the conclusion here that I would say is that it appears the Mandela effect is similar to the Carbonara effect which is this really cool cultural phenomenon with a catchy name and some underlying psychological principles better explained by some other well-researched phenomenon. So to call it a separate thing doesn't really make any sense. It makes more sense to kind of look at the studies out there that are about the real explanations that are happening. Cool. Ready to take it home? Yeah, let's take it home. So I think the main thing here is when you see something that is kind of pop psychology and really fun and really interesting, that's worth looking at kind of what the mechanisms are. And here, you know, when we started, when I specifically when I started doing the notes on Mandela Effect, I was like really interested in this whole thing. And I wanted to get into all this research and found that it just, it doesn't exist. What does exist, though, are these very real false memories issues and all the stuff that and all the subsets related to that. And so it's worth kind of taking the time to look at the research within that realm that helps explain better what's going on with this Mandela effect. I think one of my favorite points from this whole discussion was the fact that where you see something that looks like the Mandela effect, essentially what all you're really seeing is a culture passing on and reiterating incorrectly some piece of information in such a way that it becomes sort of its own force. And that's the whole Luke, I am your father thing of like the reason that people remember it that way is because that's sort of how they hear it more often than how it actually is portrayed in the movie. So if it's portrayed one time incorrectly in a a format that has high, a lot of people accessing it, then that starts to get repeated. And when you hear it 
out in the world, you hear it a lot more often. I'm just thinking about the show The Office, and they specifically did something where they were messing around with the PA system in a grocery store and said, Luke, I am your father. And you see that people are going to see that more often than the original movie, right? So what they hear more often is this twisted version of it. And so what the effect, I think, really is, is just the larger culture patenting that as the reflection of reality, and then that's what people remember. Yeah, and I think the final take-home point, too, is that we were not sucked into a black hole, that if we were sucked into a black hole, we would have no memories whatsoever. Just because somebody turned on a large hadron collider does not mean that we are in a parallel universe. (laughs) Accurate. Yeah. I do want to add, though, I think that it's useful to think of this in the context of false memories and that process and how that's related to what's going on here is essentially you have interfering or related cues that sort of muddle the accuracy of the memory that would be evoked by those cues if you will yeah i think that's a great place to end it there cool beans so is it time for recommendations let's do it recommendations all right so for my recommendations this week i am currently reading the book the road by cormac mccarthy Ooh, it's a good one it is a good one fun fact it's part of the oprah winfrey book club had no idea. Did not know that. Interesting, interesting tidbit. I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> yeah, I kind of don't either. It's a sad book. I really like Cormac McCarthy. I've read a few of his books now, and I think that that, that one in particular is one where it works even though it's really sad. I think he did a really good job crafting a story where it doesn't have to have a happy ending for it to be a, feel like a complete story. And I think you can interpret it kind of however you want when maybe someone would view that ending of it as happy without giving anything away. But I think it's a cool exercise in just telling a story for the sake of like telling a story. And I also do like the premise a lot. I thought that that was really cool. I'm about 100 pages in right now, but it is intense. Yes. I always go back to Nicholas Sparks, who said that Cormac McCarthy was kind of a pulp writer and was kind of dogging his work. And I was like, really? Like Nicholas Sparks? Get out of here with the notebook. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't have any legs to stand on, yeah, sir. Come on. Yeah. Goodbye. Good day, sir. Remind me if I'm incorrect. Is that the one that has no chapters? It's just like one straight story. Yeah. That's what I thought. It's like one straight story and it's, it is like intense. Cool. I'm going to make a quick recommendation, which is to use an actual webcam. And so I have, <laughs> I've for basically ever just relied on the webcam that comes on my laptop. And what I don't like about that is that first of all, I am beholden to which way my uh, computer is facing as to what angle it's going to get of and using the camera. And I finally just got tired of it and bought myself a, just a quick plug in a USB webcam. And now I can angle it wherever I want to angle it. It's got a wider angle lens, which means it sees things a lot better and the definition's better and it's super easy to use. And I've actually, I even used this recently for training. I was teaching someone how to do a particular thing and I was able to point the camera down so they could see my hands, the materials I was working with to teach them how to do something. And like having the access of the, the free range camera is very helpful. So I recommend that you look into getting a USB webcam to use (laughs) rather than just relying on whatever one is on your computer i've got one right now it's like an hd one and it's fantastic it's been it's been one of the best the best things ever and it's so simple yeah it's yeah it's great and mine was 26 dollars. so if you can swing that like you can probably get something just as good for less so it's great totally worth it 
All right, cool. Well, I have nothing else. Do you have anything else? Nope, that's it. Thank you so much for recording with me. Thank you so much for listening. If you made it this far, if you'd like to support the show, well, there's a lot of ways to do that. Rate, review, subscribe, join us on Patreon, all those sorts of things. If you would like to recommend this to a friend aware on all the platforms where you find this, you can learn more about this episode and by checking out the show notes that are in this episode or going to the website where this episode will be posted at www.dwwdpodcast.com. That string of letters I just gave you is also our handle for all of our social media things with the at sign in front of it like you would know to do about any kind of social media handle <laughs> and of course we like receiving emails which is just info at and our website so we look forward to hearing from you please write us in let us know if you have any fun stories about the mandela effect or if you are nelson mandela <laughs> we'd love to hear from you yeah or no nelson mandela or anything else you'd like to share about that experience but otherwise if you don't have anything else then i think we can close this out this is abraham and this is shane we are out see ya You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.dwwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.